If you happen to wake up one day and discover that you also were a lanky guy and you were doing Word on the Hill, what do you think it would be like? That's deep. <laughs> Welcome to the Word on the Hill with the lanky guys. My name is Father Peter Muzzin. My name is Scott Powell and you are... Here. You're here with us at the end of a week. We're recording this on a Friday afternoon, which we've learned the hard way is not the ideal. It's not the <laughs> optimal time for us to record a podcast. But we're we're uh, you know we're we're cool, dude. Life is hard. Life is heavy sometimes, dude. What I know, and you Friday guys. Friday afternoons. Friday night. It, it's this weird thing to where you're like, in college, Friday night would come around. and You're like, woo, let's go and go out and hang out and do all the fun things because you're ready to do the energetic stuff. Right. Right. Friday night, like you, you find yourself kind of deeper into your career or your uh, vocation, or both, and, and and you're like Friday night, and you're like, let's go to bed at seven thirty, dude. That's like sounds amazing. It does sound amazing, doesn't it? You're like, oh, oh, all right, we have three well, hours. Okay, so this is what I know. What do you know, Father Peter? We are in the day of the ascension of the Lord. We are. It is the ascension of the Lord, which is. So I saw two options today. One is the seventh Sunday of Easter, which is chronologically true. And the other option was for the Ascension of the Lord. Is there an option that we can do either one, or what's what's the deal there? Ascension Thursday. So normally it's uh, 40 days after Easter that we would do that. So is it universally bumped to Sunday, though, no, or is it only certain dioceses? It's only certain dioceses. So our diocese bumps it to Sunday, correct? Yep, in it does. Denver. In Denver. All right, well, that's what you're going to get. Because that's so, where your home base is. Yeah, so podcast. either you're going to get the feast day or you're getting the feast day. All right. Well, fair enough. All right. Our first reading, see what it is just there, for the ascension of the <laughs> Lord is Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. I'll tell you what, that's a lot of ones. That is All in a, a row. That is a lot of ones. We follow that with responsorial psalm of 47, 22 to 3, 6 to 7, 8 to 9, with a responsicolio from number 6. Responsicolio sounds like a uh, Shakespearean character or something. Well, or uh, a guy from uh, Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> those, are, those are as far away from each other as you can get, yeah, yeah. which is kind yeah. of amazing. Our second reading is from... No, I, that's my job. Ah. Second reading is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 23. There's another option from Hebrews, but we're not going to read it. Nope. So take that. And then our gospel is Luke 24, chapters, chapter 24, 48 to 53. 46 through 53, maybe? 46. Oh, I have good eyes. Your phone is very small in, in your defense. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what you do. Here's what's interesting about what's happening today. Tell me. Um, the first reading and the gospel reading are kind of different versions of each other. Oh. So you have the very, very end of Acts, uh, sorry, the very, very end of the Gospel of Luke and the very, very beginning of Acts of the Apostles, which is a recap of the end of Luke, mm. but with more information. Does that make sense? Yes. So Acts, the, the section we get from Acts kind of begins with, um, so this is the Ascension, by the way. So this is, uh, I've got a lot to say. Okay. But okay. we're going to keep this one short because okay. it's Friday afternoon, as okay. we have already pointed out. Um, one of the things that, so Luke has written both of these things. Luke wrote two volumes to his work, right? Right. So you got the gospel of Luke and you got the acts of the apostles, which is volume two. They're both written to someone named Theophilus who is, who is unidentified. 
Um, there's different theories about who that is. Maybe it's written to all believers. Maybe it's written to a, a Roman, you know, uh, authority or governor or something. Maybe it's written to the Jewish high priest who there was a Theophilus who was high priest somewhere around this time. I actually, that's the theory that I hold to. I think it's actually written to the Jewish high priest trying to uh, persuade him that Christianity is the answer to all of these things. Oh, wow. Because Luke actually has, for being the only Gentile, the only non-Jewish author of a New Testament book, he has more about the temple and the liturgy than any of the other authors, which is kind of fascinating. That's cool. For, for the non-Jew to actually have more <laughs> liturgical information. Well, we need well, we need that in a special particular way totally. because we need to be formed in the worldview so that we can actually understand how Jesus fulfills what was in himself. And sometimes it takes someone from the outside to explain to those on the inside what they're really doing. Right. It's why I, rem- I remember for a long time people would... Uh, well, I, I don't think it was widespread, but I remember hearing a handful of complaints back like a decade ago of why, why are all the best like Catholic speakers and authors and stuff, why are they all converts, like the Scott Hans of the world, right? Right. And there is something, though, and they're not all, but there is something about sometimes it takes an outsider to kind of see it from a different perspective and be like, hey, you guys. Like, that was Scott Hans' brilliance of coming from the outside and being like, hey, you guys don't realize what you have. Let me show you. Right. And that's, in a certain sense, what I actually think Luke is doing. To this priest who's actually in there, and he's giving a new perspective. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So what he does in the, in, in the beginning of the book of Acts, he says, In the first book, Theophilus, that is the Gospel of Luke, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit and the apostles to whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them by many proofs after he had suffered, that's the passion, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. The the term the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is Matthew calls it right. It's the it's the the Greek by the way. In case you are not a kind of living in uh, in the kind of weird world of biblical studies, Basileia Teotheo is which is unimaginable that you're not. Yeah, I mean, come on, really? You're listening to this podcast now. It is the most common topic of conversation for Jesus. It's the thing he talks about in the Gospels most. Of anything he talks about, he talks about the idea of the kingdom most, which is significant. And I think for so much of uh, Christian theology over the years, the idea of the kingdom has become this abstraction, which it's not. Historically and traditionally in the Catholic understanding, the kingdom is the church that God is building, that Jesus is building to establish so that he can ascend into heaven and actually leave this very tangible reality for us to see him through. So there's a lot more on that. What's kind of cool about the gospel of, uh, I'm sorry, about the beginning of Acts is that it's it's kind of like, do you remember in 80s shows? I don't know if this still happens anymore, but remember in the 80s and stuff, there was always the last week on Growing Pains. Like, they'd always give the recap of the previous week's episode. Dude, I mean, they did that on Lost. They I guess, they, on, I guess they've done that. Like, like, they did that on... Um, uh, uh, I always think of it as in 80s sitcoms. Oh. But I guess it happens still. Yeah. But so I wh- mean, they 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 uh, on Family Ties they only did it on a double episode. When it, it was, was only really in a very special episode yeah, exactly. of. Last Pants. week we saw Tom Hanks as the uncle, having stolen all the FBI stuff. And oh my gosh, I forgot them. about yeah, that one. Dude. Tom Hanks went off the rails. Yeah, dude, it was awesome. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so Luke's kind of doing that in Acts of the Apostles. He's like last week on Jesus and Friends. 
Um, but he he gives the recap of the end of Acts of the end of the Gospel of Luke, but he gives you more. So he kind of clamps you back together with the gospel, but he gives you more information. So we, we sort of left the gospel of Luke, and I actually want to talk about that when we get to the gospel, in almost a, kind of a weird contrived way. So we'll get this in the gospel, but Jesus, it, it says kind of briefly that he ascended into heaven, but he ascended, he appeared to his apostles, he had risen from the dead, he showed them all these things, and he's like, okay, hang tight in Jerusalem, stay here, don't move, I'm out. And then he ascends, and you're like, that's a weird ending to the book, right? Right. Because we know that the story of the church, the kingdom, is going to be to go out to the ends of the earth. But the gospel itself actually ends in this way that I actually think is designed to make the reader sort of uh, stir-crazy, almost, right? He's like, hang out in Jerusalem, stay here. And it says, and then they went to the temple and they worshipped continuously. And everything's cool. And you're like, is that it? And the Acts of the Apostles is meant to show you, no, that's not it. It's a temporary thing. And and here's, I think, what I've been thinking about most. And it was really you, probably a number of years ago, that actually really opened my eyes to this. And not that I didn't know it, but you you emphasized it to me in such a way that I, I've been seeing its importance more. Okay. We think about what Jesus has done. We think about the Paschal Mystery in terms of, okay, so Jesus became incarnate. He lived. He ministered. He taught. He was betrayed, he was crucified, he went through the passion, and he rose from the dead. The end, period. That's not the Paschal no, Mystery. No, it's not. It is not completed until the ascension. Right. And it's unfortunate. Even, it's even the kind introduction of, of humanity into the fullness of the Father. I, I, it is that, but it's more than that. Nothing is completed until the ascension takes place. Because it's in the Ascension, which is what we read about here in Acts, which Luke describes to us. I mean, it, let, let's put it this way, and I feel like we've talked about this before. In the Mass, <laughs> this isn't meant to be a trick question. There's lots and, of protons and neutrons, and there's oh electrons, gosh, and, and then you actually have blah. to like, okay. No, the Mass, the In liturgy. the Mass, in the liturgy, when is the Eucharistic sacrifice complete? Go be sent. Mm, no, and I, the I hope. Reception of communion. I'm I'm not entirely sure if I'm correct on this, but there is something important that comes Final from blessing, Judaism. Actually. It's actually when you sit down. Hmm. It's because the vessels are. I mean, complete, complete. Like it's done. He he has completed it in his person. Jesus on the cross. He he did it once for all. Yes, of course. But in our entering into it. You say the words of consecration. We distribute the, the the body of Christ, right? All these things. But then there's there's some nuts and bolts, right? You actually have to purify the vessels. We have to clean the altar. We have to sort of finish everything. And the sign, the symbol that we are done is when you actually sit down. Right. And that's the moment that all of us who are kneeling, I actually used to think this was the wrong thing to do, but I realize it's actually liturgically significant. When the priest sits down, the tendency in most parishes is that all the people sit down as well. Right. And it's not just a courtesy. I used to think it was a courtesy. Oh, we can sit because Father sat. We'll just be kind of courteous. He goes first. But it's not. When you sit... It's an eschatological sign of Christ's victory over all of his enemies at the end of everything. But it's also very practical in the sense that, no, I'm sitting because I'm finished. I'm done. So I sit down. Right. And Jesus's work of the Paschal sacrifice par excellence is not done, done, done until he sits at the right hand of the father. Mm. And he only does that after the ascension, when he rises into heaven and takes his throne and sits down, which is the iconic moment that he says, it is now completed. 
Right. I have died for you. I have risen for you. I have defeated death. I have shown myself. I have established a church. I have built the kingdom. And now I am ascending and I'm sitting down. Not because I'm out. <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> but it is the sign that now it's complete. Right. And I think that's, but I, for so long and so many I, of us. I love, I love this. This is, this is actually like one of my favorite things that I get to share with people. I know. And, and it, it totally it, changed like, everything for me. Like hearing it, having formed your heart is like my, is like such a joy. And there's a weird thing. I, I think part of it is chron- chronological. Part of the struggle is okay. that we had Easter, I don't know, like 40 days ago or something like that. Right. And Easter's really exciting and Lent, you know, is kind of burdensome and kind of stinks and you have all your sacrifice and then there's Easter's, Easter and we went to the vigil and Easter's exciting and it's exhausting and you know all the things and we're 40 days in and it's really easy by this point we're like oh it's the seventh sunday of easter we kind of forgot about it or it's just kind of like oh, okay it's still easter i guess this and then flowers we come, are still up flowers are still up but it's we're it's just been a long time and we kind of forget that we're still in it and right. not only are we still in it we haven't hit the climax yet until right. now now he's ascending Whoops, now he's showing us now it's complete. And what he's preparing, what the ascension is preparing us for, is for the moment that he then sends the Holy Spirit to empower us to flip the light switch on in all of our lives so that we can go out and actually do the work. And that's where we get the idea of a novena. So we have nine days in between exactly. Ascension Thursday or now Ascension Sunday, and we have <laughs> seven days until we uh, make it to Pentecost. Right. But then there's something just so potent about actually being like in the expressions of how God is trying to take our humanity and transform it entirely in the divine life. Like this is actually like, that's the mysterious part is if you forget the ascension of the Lord, then we forget that like we actually are caught up into divine life. Right. Like that we've been introduced into the inner life of the Trinity. Right. And and like theologically, there's nothing more meaningful than that. Absolutely. But but we're still liturgically and chronologically in a weird moment. And this is, I think, where the God and I, I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself talking about the gospel, but there is sort of a weirdness in the sense that Jesus ascends into heaven. And his instruction, his, the moment that he is literally completing the whole thing, his instruction to the disciples is, hey, guys, hang tight. Hang on. I'm out. And he ascends, and it says like he shoots like a rocket into heaven, right? And there he goes. And his instruction to them is, wait. And then he disappears out of mm. their sight, which you're like, that's just strange. And there's this weird nine-day moment where they're kind of left hanging. Well, and so and, and is isn't this the reality of our lives though? Yes. Like <clears throat> how often I mean why when do we take recourse to have a novena? It's when we're when we're like I need mm. faith and I don't see the transformation that I need to take place taking place. Mm. And you say, "Wow, mm. okay, so you left us. We're, we're okay, we've been kind of used we're starting to get used to you like showing up and having breakfast on the shore <laughs> and right. walking with some disciples and stuff and yeah. we're used to you kind of being present in this way." And he's like, "Yes, but now he's like there's gonna be this lacuna, this gap, mm. this this falling, this this moment gap. to where you actually have to like realize that what's taking place is so much greater than you could have ever imagined, right. but 
you're going to feel alien in a way that you have never. So stay put. Do not do anything. Wait until power is sent from on high. Right. And you're going to recognize it when the Lord shows up. Right. And and uh, oftentimes it's way more than nine days nowadays. Well, yeah, it usually and, is. It, and it's the, the, and this is the type. It's three yes, times three times exactly. three. It's yeah. it's this kind of fullness of fullness of fullness. It's twenty seven. It's this kind of expression of these days that you say, I uh, I don't know if I can actually be patient enough to wait for the <laughs> Spirit and for the Lord to answer. But that's exactly what we're like saying. Look at what the answer is to us being totally gapped. You know, like yeah. from from this great expression of familiarity and conversion into this place of utter, total, personal, actual transformation. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to uh, Father Sean uh, Galvin earlier today, and we were talking about this passage that he was really excited about in uh, it's only Isaiah chapter 2, I think, um, of w- which he was anchoring the case to me um, that it kind of sets the paradigm for this whole thing. And there's this there's this past there's this prophecy in Isaiah two that someday after all the warfare and all the suffering all the stuff right there's going to come this day when all nations will eventually flock to Mount Zion mm. and they will be fed from Mount Zion and Mount Zion has always traditionally been seen as the temple right, right. but what Jesus shows us in his passion actually it's been known far before that back in the book of Ezekiel the temple back before the Babylonian Babylonian exile ceased to kind of be what the temple was because the temple was always meant to be the house, the place where God dwelt, the place where God tabernacled among us. And way back in the book of Ezekiel, he actually has this vision where he sees the presence of God leave the temple. And the whole story of from Ezekiel on into the time of Jesus is people saying, when is God going to come back? Right. When will he show up again? Like you said, right? And then who shows up? God incarnate in Jesus shows up as a little baby in the temple. And then he leaves again and he goes and dwells in obscurity in the country. And then he comes back and he pronounces curse on that temple. He says, no, you've made this into a den of robbers and thieves. And then the temple itself goes and establishes itself on Mount Calvary across the valley from the old temple. And now Zion becomes the cross. It becomes Jesus hanging on the cross to which all the nations begin to flock. But then Isaiah goes on to say that eventually everyone will go forth from Jerusalem. Well, hold on. I mean, this gets us into the this gets us into the got into the uh, responsorial. Song. Oh, talk to me. God mounts his throne to shouts of joy, of blare of trumpets for the Lord, a blare of trumpets for the Lord. So, so like, like <laughs> I couldn't hang with that. No, I mean, he. This is actually what the reality of him like. We've been preparing for the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary through the blare of the shafar, yeah. and from from this blare and and his throne, which is, is the ram's is horn. the cross. Yeah, this is like so to shouts of joy. But That's what's tricky, though. His throne is the cross, right? But he also ascends to his throne, throne at the right hand of the Father, right? But but this is the thing is that they're, there's they're no longer confused exactly right yeah yeah that's 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 important they, they identify in themselves with each other with like, each other like this is what's so crazy is that it's the greatest statement of love and so now how how many of us do we look at the cross and we say I'm so thankful and I kiss it and he, and he mounts his throne to shouts of joy and like and and we we I don't know it's it is it's a little confusing to well, us. But I know it's not confused. Here's what I, where I'm hung up. And I don't know if I'm what I'm about to say is true or not. I'm just spitballing theology here. So you guys are going to have to deal with it. 
there is a moment. There's this weird moment. So I'm thinking about I've been thinking about Isaiah all day because of Father Sean. That all the nations are going to flock to Zion, right? And we're all going to be sent forth from Jerusalem, which is what the apostles do. They're sent out of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. But Zion, what is Zion? Zion is the temple. Zion is where God dwells. Zion is where God tabernacles among us. And so Zion used to be the temple building, the, the brick and mortar temple in Jerusalem, right? Right. But then God's presence left that temple. And God tabernacled among us in a different way. And he dwelt with us and he was incarnate in, in, in Jesus. And he ministered to us. And then he died and, and Zion moved to Calvary. But then Zion ascends into heaven, right? God's presence ascended. And then we have a gap, right? Mm. In which he says, hang tight because Zion's coming back. And we looked last week and our reading last week, right, was about this image that John in Revelation has of the heavenly Jerusalem descending, mm. which is in a certain sense almost iconic of, of Pentecost, right? God is coming back in a new way. Mm. Heaven is coming to earth. But there's that weird nine day gap where the disciples are just like, all right, we're going to hang tight. Zion has left us. God's presence has actually departed in some way. And it's about to come back with a vengeance at Pentecost and infuse our hearts and light us up to empower us to go forth, like Isaiah 2 said, to go out from Jerusalem and do all these things. But there is the weird moment between Ascension and Pentecost where we're like, oh, 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 <laughs> hanging tough. Right. And I've just been reflecting on that weird moment. That we see it. We've seen him. We saw him. We saw the glory. We know he's enthroned. But we haven't gotten the empowerment to do anything about it yet. And we will. And I've just been, I've been having a hard time reflecting on that nine days of like, well, where's, where's God? When is he going to show up? We know he's coming. We don't understand yet. But we're in the gap. And in a weird way, there's a spiritual reality that we all live in, right? Well, I mean, we're that, still, that, he's still veiled of, from that's us. That's kind of the world we are in. <clears throat> that, that's in what, that's what I'm getting sense. at, I guess. It's, it's, it's the same reason why <laughs> I want to have like a, a, a version of the um, wall of water to our left and to our right. That in a certain sense, <laughs> yeah. we're, 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 yeah. we're, we're actually still... In ex- from Exodus. Yeah. yeah f- we're still in the Red Sea yeah. with Pharaoh at our back and the promised land in front of us and going like, oh no, how will we be... How will we be totally purified? Like, but how will we be? In, how will we be fully consummated in the spirit? But to see Jesus in, yeah. uh, enthroned and like, because because on one hand it's already present, it's already here, it's already existent, and that's what Exodus 15 is reflecting. When they're in the Red Sea, they're singing of their salvation, right? Even though they haven't gotten to the other side of the Red Sea yet, right? And that's what's so profound about that, uh, which is a which is a. Um, a foreshadowing, I guess, right, of what's to come. Which we can sing about our salvation. Days. Right. To, how can you sing of your salvation when you haven't fully experienced your salvation yet? Can you trust God that much? And I don't, I don't know if the apostles do or not. There, there's kind of a wild card. I'm not, right. Luke doesn't really tell us. Right. Um, but in a real way, that's actually what Ephesians is talking about, right? That's what Paul then in this letter is kind of looking back and reflecting on. He says, brothers and sisters, in Ephesians... By the way, as a, a bit of a side note, we've talked about Ephesians, I'm sure, before on the podcast. This is a city, Ephesus, which was the hotbed of like dark spiritual warfare and magic and new age stuff and occult practices. I mean, this is this this is the embodiment of spiritual warfare. Everything that sucks. And and to that and and not just that, but 
the embodiment of spiritual realities that are dangerous and dark that we cannot see. Mm. And we're asked to kind of trust and move forward. And it's actually in that place that people go nuts, head over heels for the message of the gospel. Right. To the point where they're rioting and they're burning all their amulets and spell books because they're like, no, this is it. Right. Because they're actually already predisposed to the idea that there are spiritual realities that they don't see. They've just got their eyes on the wrong ones or the evil ones. Right. So it doesn't take much. And so Paul writes to them, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. May you see through the sea before you're actually out of it in a certain sense. That's what I'm hearing as you say this, right? Resulting in knowledge of him. May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened, even if the eyes of your eyes are still kind of dark and veiled, right? Right, that you know, even if you can't see. Yeah, that's almost what it sounds like Paul is getting at here, at least in light of these other readings, right? That you may know what is the hope and that belongs to his call, what are the riches of his glory, the inheritance among his holy ones. The inheritance is an important word here because inheritance is something that is sort of to be future received, unless you've already gotten it. And in a certain sense, the apostles are waiting for their inheritance. They're waiting for their spiritual inheritance. Jesus has ascended and now they're asked to wait. Right. And, and and what is the inheritance but the spirit itself? The spirit itself, which is coming. But they don't know that yet. And right. so it's this, I don't think we give the apostles as much credit as we should for living. We have 2,000 years of hindsight to look back and be like, oh, yeah, that's what happened during that time. Right. But they actually had the grace or the strength or, or a combination thereof to actually say, okay, we're going to listen to Jesus and we're going to hang tight for a while mm. and we're going to wait. Mm. It's funny. I mean, the whole trajectory of the way that Luke tells this narrative, and I think we've talked about this before, but the very beginning of the gospel of Luke, which is unique, Luke begins his story. Unlike any of the other gospel writers, he begins his story in the temple. Remember this in Jerusalem with Zechariah and the vision of Zechariah when he sees Gabriel. Yep. So he begins his story in the temple in Jerusalem. He ends his gospel in Jerusalem, in the temple, remember it says the disciples, they're hanging tight. They went and they praised God in the temple continuously. It begins Acts of the Apostles in Jerusalem, right? And so you'd expect to end where? In The Jerusalem. gospel begins Jerusalem. The gospel ends Jerusalem. Acts of the Apostles begins Jerusalem. Acts of the Apostles ends? The world. Rome. Rome. Which is, at the time, the capital of the world for all intents and purposes. Right. But it matters for Luke that the narrative makes sense because he understands the Old Testament. Mm. He understands salvation history and he understands that what God has established is that this word must go forth from Zion and we must go out from Jerusalem because that's how God designed it. But we go out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And we have to start at, at times continuously be going out with a bit of blinders on. We're kind of like Abraham, who was asked to leave his home and his father's home and his kindred and everything else and go to a place that he has not been shown yet, right. which is in a certain sense the whole call of the church. Yeah. That is the apostles. You're going to start here. Hang tight for a sec, and I'm about to send you out, and I'm going to give you grace in abundance, and you're going to places that you have no clue what's waiting for you. Yes. But it's going to be it's going to be amazing. And then we and that's what we've been looking at in the then, readings all then, throughout the all throughout Easter, right? But then yeah, then the heavenly Jerusalem's going to actually come down, we're going to be caught up and actually invited into th- this world. But in in a certain sense as far as the layers of scripture go, there will come a day when the heavenly Jerusalem does descend on the clouds. That will happen. But in a certain sense, it's also showing in different layers what has already happened. 
Because in a certain sense, at Pentecost, which we're going to look at next week, the heavenly Jerusalem did come down. Yeah. And it, I mean, in the incarnation, he heaven came down in the person of Jesus. At That's Pentecost, right. he comes down mm. in a new way mm-hmm. to empower the kingdom, yes. the new heavenly Jerusalem. Uh-huh. And at the end of all time, we will see the fullness of the city, which has been coming in bits and pieces all this time, right? Right. But we're going to see it with the veil lifted. And so that's where the gospel then begins to make sense, right? As Jesus is about to depart temporarily, he says, hey, thus it's written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And for that repentance, the forgiveness of sins, it's all going to be preached in his name to all of the nations, beginning with Jerusalem. And you guys are going to be the witnesses. And so I'm sending the promises of my father before you. But hang tight. Stay in the city until I tell you. You know, it's interesting. I was just thinking about um, uh, Mary Magdalene was the first one to see him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And what what happened? I don't know. Do not yet cling to me. I've not yet arisen to my father. I've not. I'm not done yet. In other words. Done yet. It's not complete. Right. We've got a bunch of work and then I'm going to go. So Uh. even in the Easter season, we've already actually the very first moments Uh. of the resurrection pointed towards the ascension of the father and the work of Easter. Which kind of speaks to the fact that isn't it beautiful liturgically speaking? Right. Easter is 50 days. It's not like there's one definitive moment where everything is complete. I mean, God God could have done that. Right. But he says, no, there is a work that I am entering into and I'm inviting you mm. to enter into this work with me. And it's right. going to take a while. Right. And we're going to take our time because I'm God and I'm patient and I have the long game in mind. Yep. So Easter is going to be 50 days, not just one day. While the rest of the world celebrates Easter as one day. Right. But we as the church, we say, no, we understand it's more than that. Just like Christmas. It's just like Christmas, right? So if you feel fried out on Easter or if you've forgotten entirely that it is still Easter, hang tight. It's still Easter for a while. It's still Easter, but also recognize that the Lord is going to take you deeper to give you a deeper gift than you could have ever imagined. Than you could have ever imagined. And it's going to be harder than you ever imagined. Just like the podcast. Just like the podcast. (laughs) But the glory on the other end is going to be greater than you ever imagined as well. Right, exactly. Just like the podcast. Just like the podcast. (laughs) But sometimes we got to hang. Well, for a little bit. you guys, thanks for hanging with us. And uh, we just love you. And uh, uh, may the spirit descend upon you in a new mm. Pentecost. And well, not the... yeah, that's next week. I know. May you wait patiently. I know. Wait patiently <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the gap. Mind the gap. <coughs> Mind the gap. That's a good name for the podcast. We're in the theme <laughs> of the podcast name coming out in the last At the sentence. very last word. Mind the gap. Okay. Boom. Well done. <laughs> God bless you all. <laughs> Happy Ascension Sunday. Yeah. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.